Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. From Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asphalus Advisors. We have an accomplished guest lined up for you today speaking on the topic of what if your ladder is against the wrong wall. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, James Green, the Director of Risk Advisory Services from SAI Global. James, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the world of risk? Sure thing. I am, as you said, the Director of Risk Advisory Services for SAI Global. I started with a company called Strategic BCP that was acquired by SAI Global last summer. And prior to joining the company, I spent nine, 10 years as a business continuity practitioner myself. So the head of first a global business continuity and crisis management program, and then a large US-based financial services business continuity program. I joined the what we call the dark side of consulting about two years ago. That you started as the head. Yes. So I'm so, a millennial. Help me understand how I graduate from college and start as the head. So I recommend <laughs> not doing that. So for the first 10 years of my career, I was in financial services, specifically in technology equipment leasing. And it was very much a boom or bust industry where companies would make a lot of money and then they would go out of business and lay you off. So I worked for four companies and two of them went under. And unfortunately, one of them went under right at the end of 2008 during the Great Recession. So the economy was in a free fall. I was tired with the volatility of my profession and I was looking to make a change. Uh, At the time, my good friend was the head of accounting for a large uh, company, they're a business process outsourcer. So if you call your bank or your credit card company, they answer, you know, they say, thank you for calling X bank, but it's really a private label company. They had gone through four global heads of business continuity in less than four years. So they realized their hiring methodologies weren't working for them and they were looking to make a change. I was brought in as kind of the outside the box candidate. And I think really more is kind of like interview fodder. So you could say, well, if you want someone outside the box, here's someone outside the box. And I had worked on that interview for about two, three weeks prepping why I should be even in the room, right? Because honestly, I had no business being in the room. Through the interview process, I explained to them my vision of what I thought business continuity should be. And I really tied it back that it should be a value add to the business. Most often, risk is limiting what a business can do. And my proposition was business continuity can show a business the risk it can take. Uh, Somehow I got the job and I was so sure that I was going to get exposed as a fraud or fired in a short amount of time. I relocated for this job. I didn't even buy a house. I moved into an apartment on a short-term lease. And here I am 10 years later still in business continuity. So just kind of connections in my network, a bunch of dumb luck and really a company willing to take a huge risk. So you went from a practitioner to the dark side. Um, That's correct. (laughs) What's the difference between a practitioner and a consultant? So there's a few things. The first thing that I like is when you're a business continuity practitioner, every day you are fighting for relevancy. So being based in Tampa, Florida, 
we call ourselves glorified weathermen. If you're, if you're based in Tampa and you're a business continuity person, there are five days a year where someone cares that you exist. And it's when there's a hurricane within a thousand miles. The rest of the year, they don't want to see you. They don't want to hear you. Just go off and do your, your BIAs and your BCPs. So it's really hard to fight for why you should be there. So the first biggest difference I see as a consultant is you want me in the room because you have paid for me to be in the room. We don't get paid to sit in a room and, and not do anything. So the first thing is really that you are expected to be there, which is a pleasant change. The second biggest difference, and you and I chatted a little bit beforehand, is the political environment is very different. When you work at a job, you know the mores, you know that, oh, everyone goes to the coffee break at 9.15, here's how we dress, here's the players. Regardless of people's titles, here's who's important here, here's the people you need to know to succeed. And you know you kind of build that through repetition and understanding. As a consultant, I go in, I have to figure all that out within the first few hours. And I do that every couple of weeks. You start over with a new company, with a new political environment, with new and changes. So that is, that is a huge difference of always stepping into the unknown. So I want to come back to the political environment because sure. you know my wheels are spinning. Yes. Um, but I want to talk about your skills. Okay. So give me your top two to three skills that you had to work on and your transition from practitioner to consultant. So it's counterintuitive. The first skill is not technical. Most people think, oh, if you're a risk consultant, you have to even know more about risk. But what I find is my peer group, people here at DRJ, they know just as much about risk as I do. So it's not a technical skill. It is all soft skills. It's really first identifying why are you there? Someone has had a pain point or has a pain point to the point where they say, we need outside help. For me, it's, it's quickly coming in and finding out what that pain point is, how can I help you solve it, and really being you know, empathetic. I have sat on that side of the table. I've been the business continuity practitioner who's drowning, who needs outside help. And I always try to keep that in mind. It's not about what software or service can we sell this person or what can we upsell. It's always for me first, what, what's your problem and how can we jointly help you solve that? The first part, it sounds like you have to connect the dots because <clears throat> you mentioned, well, why am I here? So yes. people need to be able to, it almost sounds like you have to think about what people are not going to just come out and tell you. That's correct. Because often the reason they say you're there and the reason you're actually there are two different things. They're not going to tell you that until they trust you. So sometimes, and we were talking about this in a session yesterday, the business continuity comes to their, their supervisor and says, we need to do X. And their supervisor, their boss says, no, we don't. And a consultant can come in and say the same thing. And because you're a third party, because you're independent, then that gets traction. And there's another time where, you know, often we have to be, quote unquote, the bad guy. The company may have a process that's broken. And politically, no one in the company wants to say this process is broken. And I can come in and say that because I'm not looking to be promoted at that company. I'm not looking to move up in that company. I'm being paid to give you truth. And so I can take some of that flack, help a company get through maybe some some legacy political pain points and then, you know, move on. Hmm. I like that. <laughs> Critical thinking, emotional intelligence. These things are coming to my, to my mind. Um, I also hear being empathetic. Yes. 
and uh, being willing to have the tough conversations and knowing how to do that. Because I think there's a skill in that in itself, right? There certainly is, because you have to be mindful if I'm in a room with you and your supervisor and your supervisor has built some program and it's fatally flawed. <laughs> and you just say, wow, this is horrible and I can't believe this is how you do things here. They will ask you to leave. And there is a very fine line between pointing out flaws or opportunity in a process and not making it feel like there's flaws in the person. And we see people early on in their careers make that mistake. You have to keep it very separate between the person and the work. So when you're pointing out deficiencies, I'm never attacking someone personally or challenging their intelligence or integrity. We're just bringing them some outside examples of how the work could be better. Wow, I like that. Okay. By the way, for those of you who are listening, we're at the DRJ Fall Conference. And so James actually presented a keynote yesterday. Um, SAI Global is actually the gold sponsor for this conference. So we hung out last night and food and drinks were on James. So. Yes, they were. <laughs> I like the, the macaroni and cheese was fantastic. I'm not going to lie. It's the most expensive macaroni and cheese I've ever bought, but uh, I thought it was great. Well, the music was good. The atmosphere was right. So thank you for that. You're quite welcome. Um, we talked a little bit before this podcast about where do people go after being a BC manager? Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, it's hard because we, we see people move up the ladder part of the way. So maybe they go from an associate to BC manager to BC senior manager, maybe director, and then they get stuck and there's nowhere to go. And that's that's what happened to me at my last employer. It was a board mandate to build business continuity, crisis management. I did that. I built in life safety and workplace violence, looking for new things to do. And then the company said, that's great. You have taken the program as far as we want it to go. And now we would like you to maintain the program. And at the time I was thinking, well, I don't want to maintain what I built for the next 20 years. So the company saw business continuity as a value, but only up to a point. And so I think a mistake a lot of my colleagues make is they have reached as far as they're going to go. And it's not necessarily an indictment of them or their skills. It is how their employer views business continuity and views risk. Company feels that they have mitigated or accepted all the risks that they want to. And so you're just going to stay where you're at. And if you want to continue with your career, you have to realize, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong place. Maybe I've been building my career in the, in the wrong company and I need to find another company in order to continue to move up that ladder. Our topic is what if your ladder is against the wrong wall? So what is the ladder in this quote unquote mm. upward mobility conversation, right? What's, what's the ladder? So I think it's different for everyone, but it's where do you want to be? At some point, all of us reach a pinnacle of our career. And that pinnacle or peak is gonna be different for every person. But you kind of have in your mind, or if you stop and you, and you think during your quiet time, what is the ultimate job that I want? Is it with a company? Is it self-employed? Is it starting a company? Is it a startup? Where is that peak for me? And where my ladder currently is, is it allowing me to do that? And I, I use that example because at my last company, I thought I was on the right track to doing and achieving some of the things I wanted to do. And then I realized I'm actually stuck. So I'm building a career at a company 
great company, nothing wrong with the company, had the most amazing benefits I've ever had, unlimited PTO, you know, full Starbucks in the company, you name anything you could think of, take your dog to work, they had all of it. So on the surface, my friends were jealous of where I worked. It was hard place to, to get into and get a job there. On the surface, it had everything I thought I wanted, but I realized my best case scenario at this company was in the next five years, one more tiny promotion, maybe adding one or two headcounts, but no longer building, no longer creating, no longer innovating. So I was climbing the wrong ladder. And my friends and family were really surprised when I left that company. Because they said, well, that was a dream job. And again, but for me, it wasn't. That wasn't where I wanted to go. So I realized I'd had my ladder up against the wrong wall for a few years. So I'm going to come back to that wrong wall. But one of the things that I've thought about is, so everybody has an end game. Yes. Right. So I, I think I think backwards. So I want to retire at 45. I okay. want to say at 45, I have the option to work or to not work. Okay. But I make that decision. No one makes that decision for me. So then I'm well, 44. So I have a year in your timeline. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then if we think backwards, right, well, how much money do I need yep. to sustain myself if I'm going to retire at 45? And then I think about it from this standpoint. I have learned that I'm really good in this space. Okay. So for me, my organization is my means to get to my end game. And I may not always be in, in this industry or this discipline my entire life, but it's, it's my means for how I'm going to accomplish that goal. And there'll be others too. And so I, I try to think about things from that perspective. To your point, everybody's end game looks different and what they're striving toward looks different. Yes. But we're all climbing some type of ladder. That's correct. So next question is, what is the wrong wall? So for me, the wrong wall is where I'm in a situation where I don't have choices. I'm a big fan of always having options in life. And it's kind of a mantra that I hammer my kids on all the time as I tell them, the more mistakes you make early on, the less options you have later in life. And I want them to be successful based on how they define success. And I always tell them the less options you have, the less likelihood you have of reaching that success. So a wrong situation for me is where I'm not given options to be creative, to build, where I'm kind of a, a cog in a machine where they're looking to do more of the same. So they have, I, I spoke to a company recently their methodology is just beautiful. It's like a well-oiled machine. And all they're looking for are people to help feed and, and run that machine. And I realized right away, this, is, this would be the wrong wall mm. for me, where you're just maintaining something amazing they've already, already built. I want the options and the goals to try to build things for myself, for my team, for my company. And you said build, create, and innovate. I really yes. like that. So what's the right wall? So right now, I think the right wall is consulting, in particular, the consulting that I do. We, you know, we have standard methodologies and procedures and off-the-shelf stuff that we can build for you or quasi-customize -custom, for you. I tend to work with customers who have a very unique problem or challenge. They're looking for something that no one knows how to help them with. So often, I, get, I work with accounts 
where they're like, hey, we have this problem, we don't know how to solve it. I like to help them solve that. It's a collaborative effort. And sometimes it results in us creating new offerings for my company to sell. And sometimes it's just one-off custom work. And I'm really happy with that because I think I help people solve those problems. And sometimes we uncover problems they didn't even know they had. You touched a little bit on the political environment. Mm -hmm. And what is it and how do you navigate it? Anywhere you work, there is a political environment. There are customs, there are mores, there are the people who are really in charge regardless of their title, right? So you may be an EVP and John may be a director, but he's the founder's brother, so he's the the power broker. And in any company, in order to navigate a career, if you're in a, you know, traditional office environment, you have to know who is pulling the levers, who's really in charge. You don't have to suck up to them and you don't have to be fake, but you certainly need to be aware of who's making those hiring decisions, who's making those promotion decisions, who has the juice to fund projects or initiatives. And you usually learn that over time. And when you come on site as a consultant, if I don't know all of that by lunch the first day, we're dead in the water. Because we need to make sure that we're including the right people in conversations who through an org chart may not be the people you would think to talk about business impact analysis or plans or resilience, but they're the key decision makers. You need to have them in the room. And you have to know that within a few hours or you're not gonna be uh, effective. That actually takes Mm -hmm. me to another point because I imagine that in your role as a director, you're not implementing, right? Do you implement or do you, are you on the Mm -hmm. relationship building and maintaining side? I do both. Okay. So it was important to me with uh, my recent change that I still was doing deliverable work. That's where I'm happy. That's where I think I help our clients the most. So for our, our very key accounts or very strategic customers, I'm still on the ground doing that work. Gotcha. But a lot of the more day-to-day stuff or stuff that we're familiar with, yeah, there's other other members of the team that do that. Because you said that and... I think the heart of what you do is really about talking to people and discovering yes. and having conversations. How do you build relationships with people who are transactional? Uh, what well, you don't. And to take a step back, like I am not, uh, one thing this job is, has done for me, I'm not an extrovert. This job pushed me to be able to talk to people, to be able to identify with people and build relationships in a short amount of time. So I never try to be transactional in nature. I'm not good at that. And if I were to try to fake that with you, you would know right away. You would see through me so quickly, you'd ask me to leave the room. So generally what I try to do is find where is some commonality in our backgrounds, in our experience, in our goals, or again, those those pressure points, those pain points, where are things that we can work on in a collaborative nature? And it's allowed me to build relationships that cross company lines. And that's how, you know, as we talked about earlier, that's how I got started in business continuity. I built a relationship as a friendship with a gentleman who was in an accounting department. And then eight years later, when company management said, hey, do you know someone outside the box? He thought of me. If that would have been just transactional, I never would have been considered for that. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions that are not related to BC or your job. Perfect. All right. What's your favorite sport? Favorite sport is football. 
college or pro? Both. Okay, who's your favorite teams? Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I live in, in Tampa, and then I was born and raised in Michigan, so University of Michigan Wolverines. Nice, okay. Uh, what sports did you play growing up? I played soccer growing up. I was uh, terrible at it, but <laughs> enthusiastic and had a lot of energy. So I played midfield because I could run around the whole game, and that was probably the extent of my qualifications. So yesterday, the keynote speaker was a humor strategist, and he Paul. talked. To, yes, yes, Paul, Paul Ozenkup, and he talked about vulnerabilities and your most embarrassing moments. So <laughs> my question for you is, what is yours? And I'll share with the podcasters. So what I shared is, I'm recently married, and I use the bathroom with the door open, and my husband absolutely hates that. So <laughs> uh, when when did you get married? Uh, June 22nd. I got married in December. So <laughs> recently married. Newlyweds. <laughs> uh, the door is always closed in my house. <clears throat> so I can give you two professional embarrassments <laughs> from the same trip if you have a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I was on a marketing sales trip for SAI where I went to Singapore. I went to Brisbane and Sydney, Australia. And then I spent a day and a half in Wellington, New Zealand. So the Wellington part was the very last part of the trip. I was only on the ground for a day and a half. As I came into New Zealand customs, I got flagged for inspection. And since I was on the end of a multi-week trip, I had a lot of luggage. And they did not believe that I was carrying that much luggage to come into their country for a day and a half. So I got pulled into the special room and interrogated for hours because Everything I said was legitimate and truthful, but from an outside observer, it seemed very fishy. Where are you coming from? Australia. Where are you going? United States. Where have you been the last two weeks? Singapore. What are you doing? Sales and marketing. And they just didn't believe. They're like, so you mean to tell us that you flew all the way to New Zealand to do a one-hour meeting and you're in our country for less than a day and a half? And I said, yes. <laughs> and they got to the point where they were verifying stuff that I had on LinkedIn, on Twitter. They called someone at my company. Uh, and finally, at 3.30 in the morning, they couldn't poke any holes in my story. And thankfully, they let me into their country. So I got to the hotel about 5 in the morning, took a half hour nap, woke up, was getting ready to speak. At that point, my clothes were limited. This is the second half of the story. I've never told the second half, so congrats to you. <clears throat> I was, uh, you know, so very little sleep. I dropped my telephone on the floor, and I bent over to pick it up and I split my pants, <laughs> right? So I'm 14,000 miles from home. I'm down to my last pair of pants. And I'm like, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. I don't even know what to, like, I'm just gonna cry and go home. I don't know what to do here. So I put on a pair of shorts. I go down to the front desk. I said, hey. And they're like, oh, the American. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm the dumb American. I have a question for you. I have a giant hole in my pants. I have a speaking engagement an hour and a half. What do you got for me? And uh, they sent someone out and got some needle and thread. So I was frantically doing the worst sewing job you've ever seen on a pair of pants before I, I went out and spoke. So two embarrassing stories, same location. God bless you, New Zealand. All for the price of one. So, okay, that's a lot. <laughs> hey, you asked for a story. I can't. We've been kind of dry up till now, so I had to... The story sells. So what was your takeaway from all that? I think my, my, my takeaway is 
life is tumultuous and sometimes you just have to be calm. Like I think myself a year or two ago probably would have broke down with security or broke down with the lack of pants. And even in real time, the situation was so ridiculous that I found it funny. And it allowed me to get through both. And more importantly, it allowed me, the goal was, you know, a speaking engagement with a city council's crisis management team, which I did successfully. And I think based on my lack of experience a few years ago, all of those obstacles would have tripped me up and I would have failed, you know, on that trip. I think our listeners want to hear more stories about that. So <laughs> where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter, the James Green, LinkedIn, James, James E. Green or James Green, and then saiglobal.com. Perfect. Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Subscribe, share, download, and look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asphalusadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. decoded.